focus in, Lord willing, with the Lord being our help, on verse number four in the study of this short epistle here, starting in verse number one of Jude chapter one. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I uh, thank you for the opportunity, uh, as always, Lord, on the daily, to have this opportunity to read your word in such freedom. Lord, I pray that we, as we gather here, Lord, and we get into your word, that we are reminded that the greatest trouble that exists against the church is within the church. We're reminded here of the apostasy that uh, faced the church and to whom Jude was writing. But this was not just of Jude's time, Lord. It is even more the applicable in our time today. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen our church. Make us a church that loves truth. A church that has a passion for truth. That will stand for truth. That will not waver, but hold tightly to the truth that's set before us. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We here over the last several weeks have been on Wednesday night working through this epistle. In our first week, we kind of went through to whom this epistle was written. It was written to those who were saved, sanctified, preserved, and called. And now we even covered last week that he was writ writing to the saved, sanctified, preserved, and called, but even more, we seen how he was calling these people to arms. And as he was calling these people to arms, we noted last week in the manner in which he called them into arms in speaking to them in love. He said, beloved. This was the reminder, and this is the reminder to us all, that as we encourage each and every one of us to contend for the faith, to stand for truth, it was Jesus who said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have what? Love one to another. This is not a conditional love. It is a condition. It is not a state when one wavers away from truth that now you have the right to behave ungodly, to behave unholy, to act as if you have no love. So Jude says, beloved, in the midst of this apostasy that was growing among them, he, he earnestly begged them, he earnestly contended them, 
to he earnestly encouraged them to contend for the faith. Now, our eyes are drawn to verse 4. Our, basically, you'd say the onion is peeled back. We are beginning to see the heart of the matter. What had caused you to come to this point? What had caused you to say, this is why I'm encouraging you to contend for the faith? We see it here in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of all ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in verse 4, we're presented with these men who were flourishing in the church. The first thing that Jude introduces us to, he said, for there are certain men crept in unawares. This is really to, to define their personality. You know, when some would say, oh, you know, this brother, oh, he has a tender heart. They have a sweet spirit about them. Oh, they're funny. Oh, they're this. This is how Jude describes them. They are men who have crept in unawares. This is their personality. They're devious. They're crafty. They're cunning. They have slipped in with the intention to steal. This phrase in the Greek, that they have crept in unawares, really comes to you as one whole Greek word. It is paraisoduno. Why is this important to us? Well, it really emphasizes about these men who have crept in unawares. This phrase means that they had crept in to do harm. But this is also, this phrase here, emphasizes a method in which they have, slept in, uh, have uh, crept in. It is that they have slipped into the church and that the method of doing harm to this person, this word parisoduno means that I have done harm to you, but before I did harm, I first came alongside you and then inflicted you. So what Jude is saying about these people that they had crept in unaware, he, he's saying they first came in. It wasn't like my mom used to say to me, you're a bull in the china shop. They didn't come in and begin to knock everything over. They first came into the church and they crept in and they slipped up next to everybody. They became popular in the crowd. They became loved. They became one of the people who people enjoyed being around. They have literally come alongside the believers in the church and then harm was inflicted. Jude is saying here that at first did not seem to be bad for the church. I mean, it seemed at first to be of the utmost encouragement. People were coming to church. Uh, people were joining the church. But before long, it was to understand that harm was being brought before them. They had crept in unaware. It wasn't that they came in the back building, the back side of the building. It wasn't that they had slipped in through the window. It was that it looked great. They came in, they were laboring, they were working hard, but little did the church know their hearts were not on the growth of the congregation. Their hearts were set for a takeover. They used a vocabulary that would encourage the church to accept them, but in truth, they were strangers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
but it's not known at first. And by the time it comes to light, it brought others in who were developing relationship with members of the people. And this is the problem where you see compromise in church. This is the problem you see with churches today. When somebody comes in and truth is not being lifted up, the thing that counters truth within the church is relationships. It's, well, you know, I understand that they don't believe like us, but they're a good brother. Well, I understand that, uh, you know, that that probably isn't a biblical statement, but they're a great sister. They're a sweet tither. They're a sweet spirit to be around. Jude says, this is how these things come in unaware. This is the greatest contradiction. This is the greatest fight to truth. Matter of fact, by the time you really get into verse 12, if you look at verse 12, kind of jumping forward for a minute, he said, these are spots in your feast of charity. Charity means love. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds, those trees, uh, those uh, trees whose fruit wherewith, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the root. He said, these people, they're not only in among you guys, but these people are feasting among you. They're in your feast of love. They're in your charity of love without even concern. They didn't seem to really care, about, care at all. They were captivated with emotion, meaning the other believers were. But it, it seems amazing to me that we see this going on, yet where they had crept in unawares. You know, I have racked my brain many times whenever I read the New Testament about the Last Supper, about the Passover meal, that how all the apostles, the disciples, they're gathered here in the upper room with the Lord. And as they're gathered here in this upper room, the Lord tells them that one of them is going to betray me. And yet what we find is that the disciples begin to say, is it I? Is it I? They begin to question the Lord. Is it one of us that's going to betray you? Now think about this. Now the Lord knew it was Judas, yet in the midst of the 12 disciples, the other 11 didn't look over at Judas and say, he's the apostate. He's the one that's going to betray the Lord. He's the one that's going to do this. He's the one that's going to sell the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And yet it was him. And so we ask ourselves even today, is it really possible that a Judas could be amongst us? Is it really a possible, uh, possible that amongst the apostles that Judas existed and they didn't even know? And so it is for us, this is why, that we are called to contend for truth over emotions. Control, contend for truth over friendships, over anything else. Judas was this man among them there to hold the purse, yet he did not believe. Yet he saw the miracles, but his heart was hardened to them. Yet he would even go on to confess, confess that Jesus was an innocent man. He would go on to say that he needed to repent of those sins, of selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He would even try to attempt to make restitution. All of these things are biblical things. Yet he went out and hung himself. He was an apostate. He had not the faith in Christ. So verse 12 says, they feast 
when they feast among you, feeding themselves without fear. He said, these people in your church, they're spots on your feast of love. They're spots on your fellowship. They're spots on your worship. They're spots on how you serve the Lord. From within, there are people who say we are saved, and they claim to have the Holy Spirit, but they are on the outside um, without both. And he goes on to say, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Now that's an interesting thought. Jude says, these men who you are facing today were before of old ordained to this condemnation. This comes from this Greek word paragrapho. It means that it, means that it was written before of old. That these people, they had already been written before in Scripture. These men were previously written of in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, Jude even gives us an example where these men were written about. If you turn over into verses 14 and 15 of Jude, he said, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, these men who had crept in unaware, these apostates who had come into the church to do harm. He said, Enoch, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches with ungodly spinners, sinners have spoken against him. He's saying these people here, they had already been prophesied of old. And now, matter of fact, even further to say that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Zephaniah spoke of these apostates that would enter into the church. They have been prophesied of old. The scriptures has rang this out clear. Even Peter would go on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 3 through 6, knowing the first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they were, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world was that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition. Of ungodly men. So even Jude warns that there is a coming day, uh, a coming day of judgment for this apost for these apostates. There's a, a final day of judgment coming. And we say to ourselves, how does that make any sense to us at all? That Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea would speak of these apostates that yet would exist here in the time of Jude. How is it that Peter would speak about the apostates in their final judgment coming in the last days. Nevertheless, this is what Scripture is calling out. 
that he says that in the last days, meaning after the time of Christ's ascension until the return of Christ, the people that Peter was speaking of saying, I thought you said your Jesus was coming back. I, I thought you were saying he was going to return. I, I thought you said that this was going to happen and judgment was going to come. And Peter is saying, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, just how the waters poured out from heaven, yet even now judgment is stored up in heaven, ready to pour out in the last days judgment against these apostates in the church. Now, we say to ourselves, that is an interesting thought that all the way back, the seventh from Adam would talk about the apostates that would plague the church. Yet in Psalms 41 and verse 9, we find what? That David is there prophesying of what? That Jesus would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. If you read in Zephaniah chapter 11, you know what you find? Zephaniah in there in chapter 11 was prophesying about what? That Judas would betray Jesus for, a 30, for 30 pieces of silver. And so when he is saying here in this text that they were before of old ordained to this condemnation, he is saying that these men who were existed, they had been prophesied of old of what they would do, how they were apostates according to the work of Christ, and that final judgment would be coming upon them. But even more, he says, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, and then he says, ungodly men. Now, this does not mean they were not religious but it does mean that they were deliberately doing things that God forbid. They had no reverence for God. They didn't understand what it meant to be in awe of God. He denied the scriptures. This is what he said. They were ungodly men. Now, think about this. They were ungodly men. Yet, they were within the church. Now, how does ungodly men join the membership of the church? How do apostates, how does Jude come to these men and say, they were ungodly, and yet the church loved them? Why would Jude have to encourage people to contend for the faith against the apostates in the church if they were so ungodly? Well, I can tell you how. It is of my belief that they were not ungodly in their words. They were ungodly in their actions. They said they believed God and they loved his word. And yet in their own life, they did not follow it. They said that they believed that God's word was true. And yet they had no cares for it at all. They didn't believe it. They, they, in truth, he was not Lord of their life. They denied the scriptures. You know, as I said to you guys on Sunday, when you're reading the word of God, you must constantly question yourself. Why? Why is this written? Why is this written? And here even more, we're asking ourselves, how did these ungodly men make it into the church? How did these spots of these love feasts make it into the church? How, when they had no indwelling of the spirit, no conviction, no godly life. And yet it was, they had an ungodly life. They professed in the church that they were saved, but they lived in another manner. Even more, he says, not only were they 
ungodly. Jude makes another accusation against these men. He says not only were they ungodly, but they were also unholy. Where does he say? Before old of old were ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. It means that these men had taken the word of God and manipulated it. They had taken the word of God and made it a license to sin. This word turning here, it gives you the idea of a complete turning away. This is not a minor manipulation of God's word. This was a complete distortion. This word turning, it means to literally pervert or to change. To give you a parallel text to where this word turning is used in the Greek language. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed. That word removed is the same word as this word turning. From him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You see, it was a complete changing. It was a complete turning away, even in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated. That is the same word here. Translated that he should not see death and was not found because God hath again translated him. And before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch was there. He walked with God. He was on the physical earth. And then he was not. And so our text says here, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They, uh, they, they profess the grace of God. They preach the message that the grace of God would be true. They lifted it up, but then they took the word of God. There was a changing point. There was a complete turnaround where they took the grace of God and turned it into lasciviousness. I will give you an example that happened not too long ago on social media. There was a man who, well, the first, Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, Paul said, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We love that verse. It warms our hearts about the grace of God. We love to think that even though we were sinners and we make these bad decisions, that God's grace supersedes and overshadows our sin. So this man posted, If God's grace is greater than all my sin, the more I sin, the more grace than God will exhibit in my life. What is this? He had turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. He took one scripture from the word of God and manipulated it. How do we know this? Because if he would have just continued on in Romans chapter 6, in verses 1 and 2, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that we are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, this is the status quo of apostates. 
They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They manipulate scripture, but deny the whole counsel of God. They take the verses that they want and they run with it. As long as it fits their earthly desires, as long as it, they can use it to satisfy their flesh, they are completely satisfied. But here, they took what they wanted from the word of God and turned it into lasciviousness. It means that it means that they took the word of God and it was unbridled in their life. It had no control. It had no binding in their life. Matter of fact, when in Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, this word is again referenced there. But you know how Peter uses this word lasciviousness? He uses it in reference to the lifestyle which flourished in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said they've taken the grace of God and turned it into lasciviousness. Now listen, this is not a far cry from where we are today. Think about this. People who profess the name of Christ, people who are gathered together to proclaim the church, and what do we find? That these people are calling homosexuals to stand in the pulpit and handle God's word. They have taken the grace of God and turned it into lasciviousness. They're apostates. They cannot handle the truth of God. Yes, they confess that Jesus saves, but they also say that Jesus loves homosexuality. They, they also steer away from the whole counsel of God, yet lest they fall into condemnation. What Jude is calling for the believers to do, what Jude sees that calls him to say, hey, you guys need to start contending for the faith because this is going on, is the same things that we're facing today. That people who profess the name of Christ have allowed the grace of God to flourish in a place where people are living like they're from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a strange thing. Gathering together, laboring for the cause of Christ, yet will not condemn homosexuality. You see, these are what these apostates do. They say that they're in service for the Lord. They say they love the Lord, but an identifying mark of an apostate is that they will not condemn sin. They'll not condemn it. They can't. Unless it interrupts their fleshly lifestyle. And even more, Jude says this. They are denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They're denying it. Now, we talked about this on Sunday mornings as we've been studying through the epistle of to the Ephesians. And this is the reason that we labor hard on truth. This is the reason that, you know, Jesus may come back before we make it through Ephesians. Because this is a defining factor about Christianity. We spent the whole service in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. He said in that verse, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Now, when we covered that, we spent our entire service on just that one verse about Paul's love and prayer for the church. But what was our emphasis? What did we emphasize in that verse? That he was first thankful and that he first 
before he even praised God, he identified three things. The three identifying factors of their life was first, they had their faith in Jesus Christ. And then what was the second thing? That Jesus Christ was Lord in their life. And the third thing was that they had love for all the saints. Do you see this? Go back to Jude now and see this again. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord Jesus, the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They were denying it. You see, this is what apostates do. They deny the Lordship of Christ, and they must. Because if God was truly Lord, if Jesus Christ was truly Lord in their life, then he would be their master. Then he would, they would submit to his orders. They would sit to his, submit to his command. But they couldn't. They had to deny the Lord. They had to deny God. Why? Because they wanted to be masters of their own life. It is troubling when someone in the church who is disrupting the church and disrupting the services will not be bridled by the word of God. They'll not be controlled. You can present truth, and yet they will deny it for the sake of their emotions. They will put it aside and say, yes, but what about this? You can present them with scriptures, and it does not afflict them. It doesn't move them. It seems that it has no control. Why? It seems that at times they're minus the master. Their master is not the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who had sovereign rule in these apostates' life was themselves. That was the desire of themselves. They wanted to magnify themselves. They wanted to bring glory to themselves. They wanted to lift themselves up. And so is another trait of these apostates. It should be trouble to us in the church when we see someone in the church who only seeks to magnify themselves, to draw attention to themselves, to lift themselves up. Look what I did. I did that. I did this. When you say that, you have missed in whom you're service to. My job is to do one thing, bring glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want him to get the glory. Unto him, let glory be in the church. As I serve here, I want Christ to get the glory. As I live my life, I want Christ to get the glory. As I love my family, I want Christ to get the glory. He, he must get the glory in our lives. Yet, when you come to a place and the first thing that people want to do is let you know in charge it is troublesome, it is problematic, because it, it means that as a whole, they have forgot the lordship of Christ. And so the verse says, for there are certain men crept in unawares. They were creepy, slimy, slippery men who slipped in for one reason. They came alongside the believers with one whole desire, and that was to bewitch the church, to move them away from truth, to make church what they wanted it to be. But as Jude said, these men, it's no surprise to you guys. This should be no surprise that apostates exist. They were prophesied of old. 
They were ordained to this moment. Matter of fact, Jesus told you they were coming. Paul told you they were coming. They have arrived and they are now flourishing. But as the scripture says of old, when they get here, they are in the last days. But Jude even brings it back to another perspective. And he'll go on and we'll study this Lord will next week in verse 5. That judgment is coming for them. Yet even though judgment's coming for them, why is Jude saying this? That they were prophesied of old. That judgment is coming. What is the end between the in-between, it's the problem that while the apostates are flourishing and while judgment is yet coming, Christians were stepping back and saying, God's going to sort this all out. And Jude's saying, nonsense. In the meantime, contend for the faith. You have to stand for truth. Just because the Lord is going to make this all right in the end doesn't mean you get to take a backseat to serving the Lord. And even more, he says, these men were ungodly, not in their speech, but in the way they lived their Christian life. Listen, we should know people by their fruits. I'm not saying that fruits is how you get saved, but a tree is certainly known by the fruits. If you're not known by your fruits, how could Jude ever say that these men were ungodly? They were ungodly. And even more, they had taken, taken the word of God and turned it into a resource to use in their own life to live wickedly in sin. And ultimately in their life, the way they lived their life denied the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the trouble, and yet these are the identifying markers. This is what Jude sees. This is what troubles Jude. And this should also trouble us when we look out amongst the believers in the church, professing believers in the church, and the word of God does not affect them. And the word of God does not move them. And the word of God doesn't control them. Yet they come and they profess all these things and they go out and live in sin. What does it mean? It means they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. And they are indeed the master of their life and not the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to be with us as we unpack this epistle that has so much to do with our time and our age that we're in. We're seeing even today your grace being turned into lasciviousness. Your message is being held by those who don't even know you professed by people who don't even understand who you are, never been in all of you, never been in amazement of your presence, yet they're holding your word and contending that they know you so that they can promote their wicked lifestyles. Lord, we can sit back and say that you will handle this in the end and be in truth. But Lord, may we see what Jude is saying and apply it to our own life in these last days. May this age of apostasy stir in the hearts of believers a time to contend for the faith. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.